Well, good morning, Mission View. My name is Andrew Boring, and I'm the pastor of student ministries and the interim community group, group pastor here. And there's, there's a lot of good things happening in February. Uh, as Josh just shared, our, the marriage conference was yesterday and Friday night, and it was an awesome time. So many of you guys were here. So many married couples were in this room, and it was just really awesome. Uh, tonight is the game, right? Valentine's Day is on Tuesday. So for most of us, there's something that we're kind of maybe getting a little excited about looking forward to this time of year. But life is full of looking ahead. It really is full of looking ahead, right? Little, little kids, when they're in elementary school, you know, they're in like kindergarten or something like that, and they, they're in their classroom, and they're looking up to those bigger kids in their school. They're looking up to their older siblings, those really old people, like fifth graders. And they're looking up to the, them, and they're thinking, what will it be like when I'm in fifth grade? And then they get to fifth grade, and they're like, wow, it feels like fourth grade. Right? And then uh, 15-year-olds are super excited to drive. They're going to go get their driver's license here soon, so excited, and they're, they're, this, they're thinking this is going to be the best thing in the world. And they go take that test, get their license, and, and then not too long later, it just feels like normal life. And then young adults are about to move out of their parents' house, and they're super, super excited to, for that freedom to be able to create their own schedule, do what they want to do, and then they have no idea about the bills and, and about adulting and about taxes and everything else that comes with it. And, and then we think of, man, it'll be so amazing when I find that spouse, that person to spend the rest of my life with. And it is a beautiful thing, but we sometimes forget that marriage takes work. And then we think of how, what it'll be like when we have kids or buy that next bigger house or go on that vacation that we've been dreaming about for 10 years. We have these expectations, these things we look forward to. What we, uh, we look ahead at things that are coming in life, and so, so often they're really good, joyful things but we don't always know what they're truly going to be like. What we think it'll be like, what we think we need, what we think we want, sometimes that's not actually what it turns out to be. And today is our last week in our sermon series called Finishing Strong. And really what we're going to see is that Jesus changes everything. We're going to see that a right understanding of Jesus leads to a right purpose in him. Seeing Jesus, knowing Jesus, loving Jesus is not like one of those things we build up in our heads that turns out to be radically different than we thought it would be. It's actually something that, it, we, knowing Jesus is something more than we could ever imagine. The past few weeks, uh, as we've been studying the book of Mark, we've seen Jesus be confronted by so many different people, the, the scribes, the Herodians, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and over and over again, they've been trying to trip Jesus up. They've been trying to put him in a trap get him to, to say something that he'll regret, say something incorrectly and wrong. And last week, uh, Pastor Matt kind of preached through the, the previous text, and it was, it was about the greatest commandment. And they're like, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he gives this amazing, mind-boggling answer of what the greatest commandment is. And the text last week ended with them just in silence. They're like, I cannot believe how brilliant this guy's answer is. And they they, they themselves were trying to make him look like a fool, but in return, they looked like a fool. And now that it's super quiet and they're, they don't know what else to say, Jesus asks them a question this morning that we're going to be taking a look at. And he asks, it, he asks it in the presence of the temple with so many other people around. But let's pray before we dive into the word today. Father, thank you so much for the blessing it is to have a relationship with you 
to be able to open up our Bibles together on a Sunday morning, to just gather here. It is so amazing, and Lord, we love your word. I pray that you would just give us hearts and eyes to see your word more clearly this morning, that you would speak to us, and that you would work in our heart and, and help us to love you more, and that we would just be so full of your joy because of you working in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mark 12, 35 says, starting there, it says this, And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And what I want us to see here is that, is that Jesus adjusts our perceptions. Jesus adjusts our perceptions. And we, and we stopped here right now because this is probably the most confusing part of the text that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, because this question can be a little bit hard to understand. And if you don't fully understand it, don't worry, you're not alone. They didn't get it either. Uh, but Jesus... Uh, what he's doing is he's changing perceptions. He's adjusting what people thought he would be into correcting them in, into what he really is. And he does that by, by um, really quoting Psalm 110 verse 1. And Psalm 110 verse 1 was actually a coronation hymn. It was this song that they would sing in Israel and Judah whenever they were inaugurating the next king in the land. Right? They would just sing this, it would be amazing, and basically what they thought it, w- it was, was they were saying, the Lord said to my Lord, and they were thinking of the Lord God saying this to their Lord, the King. This is the King of the land. And he is to sit at the right hand of God until I put your enemies under your feet. So they thought that, that this was their King being close to God, their king being victorious over their enemies, and that's why they got so excited when they inaugurated the next king in the lands. It's going to be amazing. He's going to walk with God, be close to God, execute justice biblically, be this great godly leader. But if we remember much of our Bible, especially the Old Testament, they didn't walk with God too closely uh, for too long in this time. And the, God actually punishes them by sending them into exile. And, and when they were sent into exile in 586 BC, the psalm kind of was understood a little differently. They didn't have a king anymore. It wasn't this, this king being close to God. Their kings weren't close to God. From then, they started looking at this, uh, seeing this as a, as a prediction of the coming Messiah. They understood this to be talking about the king and the Messiah, so when it, they, they then understood it to be the Lord God said to my Lord, the Messiah, the coming one who's going to save us, be the savior of the world, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And by taking it this way, they thought they knew who the Messiah would be. They thought they knew what he would be like. He would be victorious, giving them victory, sit on the throne of David and rule the way that they were wanting him to rule, that he would be close to God. So, but Jesus' question to the people then is really, how can someone who is down the line of David, how can someone who is a descendant of David be greater than David? That's really what he's asking these people. How can he be greater than David? And and that's kind of because in the culture at this time, and it's really in some cultures around the world today, 
uh, it's the oldest in the group, the elders, who are honored, right? It, when you're at a feast, it's, it's the, the oldest people in the room who are honored. They go first to go get the food, not the little kids, right? Kind of different from our culture today. And, and the people who Jesus was talking to in the temple here, they really couldn't make sense of the fact that this coming Messiah would be a descendant of David and greater than David. It was hard for them to wrap their minds around. But the answer to his question is that Jesus adjusts our perceptions. See, they were thinking that they were going to have this Messiah who would get rid of their human enemies, right? But Jesus came to, he came to attack the spiritual enemies. They were thinking uh, this meant that their life would be great and easy because they knew the scriptures well. They knew what the Messiah was going to be, right? If he's for them, if the Messiah is going to have the Messiah's enemies under his feet and he's with them, then that means their enemies are under their feet. But they just didn't really get the the right picture of who the enemies were. And that's because they were kind of reading scripture with them at the center. They were looking at these passages thinking that clearly these enemies must be the ones I don't like, right? The people who are against me that make my life hard. And they were reading themselves into the scriptures when they should have been seeing Christ in the scriptures. And we sometimes do that too. Sometimes we do this too, but that shows us that we can end up twisting things and missing Christ in it. Because reading scripture should, should make Christ clearer in us. Because really what scripture does is it, it tells us the story of God redeeming us through Christ. It's, it's who Jesus is. It's what he has done. But the Jews thought they understood who this Messiah was going to be. He's going to be this this great guy. But Jesus is saying, I am so much more. He's saying, I'm not just a man, not not just the descendant of David. He's also fully God, right? He's, He's the Messiah, the Savior of the world, fully God, fully man, right? Try to comprehend that. It's hard. It doesn't fit nicely on our spreadsheets, but it's supposed to leave us in awe and cause us to worship God because of how incredible he is, how awesome he is. Truly, whatever you think of Jesus, he is so much more. The religious leaders thought that they knew everything, but they didn't at all, and we don't always either. But when but we look at Jesus and we see that our perception of who, uh, who we think he is really should be blown away. He's not just man. He's not just divine. He's not just this, this, this person that we come in and, and worship on, on Sundays. It's not, he's not something we can earn. Salvation, is, we, can't be, we can't earn it. It's not something that, that we go to a couple times and get 10 punches and get something for free. Who Jesus is is more than we could ever imagine. And truly, one of Satan's greatest deceptions is telling us, is telling us that what we have is good enough that we should just be content exactly where we are, that we know Jesus perfectly well enough right there, don't move, don't improve it, don't change, just slowly decline, right? But Jesus doesn't call us to good, he calls us to, to great. He calls us to something more. He calls us to life abundant, right? That doesn't mean we're gonna get everything we want, but it means we'll have more of him. Jesus didn't come to give us abundance of presence. He came to give us an abundance of his presence. He didn't come to give us everything that we want, but himself, his love. He's amazing. 
the love that he has for us, that he would care for us by coming to this earth the way he did, dealing with doubters, dealing with people trying to harm him, people rejecting him, not believing him, people like us. And he still loves us. He still loves you. And he he experienced hunger in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted for 40 days, and quoting scripture. We don't have a God that doesn't understand our pain, our situations, our doubt, our grief. We have a God who's felt it and who can empathize with us. See, Jesus adjusts our perceptions. He gets you. And it's so amazing that Jesus is more because so often we are satisfied with less. We're satisfied with less to the point that we don't even realize what we are missing. We can be satisfied with our marriage because it's, it's, it's fine. It's, it's good. When it could be something so much greater. We're satisfied with where we are in life because it's, it's not bad. But maybe it could be better. We're satisfied with, with the time we spend with the Lord, where we are spiritually, because, you know, it's, it's fine. But it could be so much greater. And praise the Lord that he blows away our expectations. Because so often we need them blown away for us to realize that he's so much more life-giving. It's kind of uh, like kid food. I love kid food, okay? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think a good, a good mac and cheese, you can order that from any restaurant, and it's really great, right? It can be really good. But you don't see too many five-year-olds eating a steak, right? They think it's too chewy. They don't really like it too much. It's just not what they want, right? They order something more kid foodish, right? And then you, a couple years pass, and they're like, why did I ever order the chicken? I should have ordered the steak. It's so much better. But their perceptions haven't been adjusted to what is greater yet. When we think of Jesus as just an add-on to our lives, we miss the richness and the depth of his love. And these verses tell us that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and his enemies are defeated. Right? This doesn't mean that our problems go away just because we have Jesus, but it does mean that he is not just an add-on to our life. He's core. He's better than anything we could ever imagine And he's in us. He's working through us. He's empowering us, encouraging us, growing us. I love that we sang the song Waymaker this morning. I love that song. Right? Our God is a waymaker. He's a miracle worker. He keeps his promises. He's our light even when we, we, all we see is darkness. We see nothing else. Phil Wickham has a song called A Thousand Names, and, and I love that song. It talks about how there's a thou, like thousand names, right, because of how big our God is, how awesome our God is. But even a thousand names can't fully ex- explain who our God is. He's so much more. His glory is so much more. Life can be hard, but the solution to our problems isn't just us thinking it's us praying. It's just, it, it is us seeing the son of David that went beyond all expectations, who adjusts our perceptions, who has eternal power, and who loves you. This miracle worker 
And he works in our lives each and every day. He changes everything. He changes our perceptions, showing us more of his greatness and his love even through the difficulties of life. And as he changes how we see him, he changes our passions. That's, he changes our passions. And we see this in verse 38. And it says this, And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devours widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive their greater condemnation. See, Jesus changes our passions. And what Jesus is doing right here is he's actually condemning these scribes. These scribes who have been asking him questions, trying to trap him, he's condemning them. And what they're trying to do is just prop themselves up. They're trying to stand a little taller, make themselves feel a little bit more important. They, they thought they were the greatest, they were the best, they were the holiest people that were there. They wore the special clothes. Right? They sat in the best seats at all the religious services, the ones that are closest to the scrolls. Right? They're the important people. Everyone is looking at them thinking, wow. And they're boasting about how great they are. But really what these scribes were doing is they were acting like their own little g God. They were acting like their own God. What they wanted to do was draw attention to themselves, get other people looking at how amazing they are, get people to venerate them. And their attitude was kind of that attitude of like, maybe you can be a somebody like someday. Maybe, maybe someday you'll be like me. But the irony here is totally unreal. Right? These are the people who are supposed to know the law. They're supposed to be the ones who are leading other people to God. Right? Helping people grow closer to them, but they were so far from God. Verse 40 even says that these scribes devoured widows' houses, right? They were chasing their sinful passions so much that they took advantage of widows. And if we remember what James says, James, in James 1 says that uh, true religion is caring for the widows and orphans, right? These, these scribes had no fruit of their faith. And what they would actually try to do, they would try to be so friendly to these widows, they would try to be so... Like, oh, I love you so much. This is so great. I'm here for you. All this, all of this to try to get them to want to give them things, to try to sneak their way into their wills. And if possible, even like when the widow dies, if, if they can get their house, that was their goal. Right? That's how slimy these people were at this time. You see, these scribes for sure had passion. It just wasn't passion for God. But Jesus changes our passions. And truly, all of us have had passions that are sinful before. Things we've longed for that we know we shouldn't have. Addictions we've had. Struggles that we've gone through. Before we knew Jesus, some of us didn't even blink an eye at these types of passions. We were just used to them. But when we get to know Jesus, when we get to feel his love, experience his overflowing grace, he changes our passions. He changes our desires. The scribes' problem was that they, they confused knowing God with loving God. They thought that if they knew the law, they could recite the books of the Bible. They would be the people with all of the answers, that they were good, right? Doing all of those things. They were holy. They were the best. But they lost their love for God. And they forgot that love needs to be the driving motivator behind what we do. Don't confuse knowing God with loving God. 
We can know a lot about him and miss who he is. We can be lost without even knowing that we're lost. About a year and a half ago, Allie and I, uh, we like to hike, and we, we drove to Pennsylvania for a day and just did a day trip out there and went hiking. And uh, we got there and stopped at like, the visitor center and picked up a paper map. They still have those. <clears throat> I didn't have service, so I had no choice. I was like, if we want a map, it's going to be paper. And we, walk, and we get the paper map, and we go park our car and go for a hike. And the trails were a little overgrown. It wasn't the best, well-maintained. And uh, we hiked for probably an hour or two, and Allie was like, hey, can we go back? You know, I'm kind of getting thirsty and hungry. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I looked at, I pulled out the map. I'm like, this is where we are. Probably 40 minutes or so is what it's going to take. 40 minutes or so, and we will be back to the car. We just, we're over here right now. We got to get over there. So like the next turn, we're just going to turn right, and then it's going to be a straight shot. And we, we walked for maybe about two more minutes, probably about two more minutes, turned a quick right, and our car was right there. <laughs> it was great. I have no idea where we were. <laughs> I have no idea how we found the car. I didn't even know we were lost. <laughs> but we were very, very lost. And that's where the scribes were. They thought they were so close to the car. They thought they were so close to God, but they didn't see it. They thought they knew where they were, but they were so lost. They didn't know they were lost. They didn't love God despite knowing him. And even us, we all need redirected at times because sometimes we don't even know that we are lost. We don't even know that we're drifting in our faith a little bit, that it's been a couple weeks since we've actually been in our quiet times or, or things like that. And we can start to see our, our walk fade a little bit. And we can do these Christian things that we need to just out of, out of obligation or out of rhythm without any love in them. Go to church, read our Bibles, pray, go to community group. We can do these things and lose sight of God in the process. Start thinking, you know, it's, it's been a hard week. I just need to, need to sleep in, need, need a break. Or I'm doing so well, it's, it's okay. I'm just going to go do this other fun thing. I'll get to that later, and later becomes three weeks. We forget God in the process when we treat obedience to God like a checkbox or time with him feels monotonous. We do it half-hearted, out of obligation. Basically, we just don't do it out of love. The scribes have a love problem. And if we aren't careful, we all do. Your heart matters. If your knowledge for God does not lead you to love for God, you're doing it wrong. The actions that they were, were doing were mostly good, but they did it for all of the wrong reasons. When our reasons don't line up, uh, when our reasons for doing things don't line up with giving God our heart, we need to go back and adjust our perception of who Jesus is to see him, him as more so that he can change our passions. Because when we know who Jesus is more, he changes our passions. And we don't want our life to be about us as much anymore. We want it to be about him. We don't care about being seen as the best whatever we're doing for him. We just want to be faithful to him. We just want to love him. We want God to have our heart, to be used by him. He wants us to love him because he's our father, our creator. The one who loved you on your worst day, on your best day. That loved you before you even loved him. He changes our passions from being passions that revolve around us to being passions that revolve around him. 
And he does this by redefining importance. Jesus redefines importance, and we see this in verse 41. It says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting in money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has given more than, than those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. See, Jesus redefines importance. All these rich people were coming through, giving large donations. And here comes this widow, broke and broken, feeling loss. Her husband's not there. And she's putting in everything that she has. Jesus really does redefine importance. You see, the world defines importance by by the things we have, the money in our bank account, the, 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 the job we have, things that we can show off to other people. But, but Jesus tells his disciples here that all of that is vain. When our passions for money or power or prominence or prestige, when our passions are for those things, we've made it about us rather than about God. And this widow gave really, she gave next to nothing. But Jesus is still saying that her gift is more than anyone else had given. And clearly, that's not because of the amount. It's because she gave her heart. It's not equal amount. It's equal sacrifice. God doesn't care about the amount. He cares about our heart. He doesn't care about the zeros at the end of a check. He cares about how we are giving. This woman gave two coins and these two coins were actually two lepta. And a lepta was the smallest currency that they had back then. One lepta was one sixty-fourth of a common worker's wage for a day. All right? So they didn't make much back then anyway. This is like way less than a penny. This is, for, for all intents and purposes, this is nothing, right? This is pretty much nothing that she put in there, but it was all that she had. She gave her heart. And that's really what God wanted from her. It's what he wants from us. And it can be so hard when we look at our budget, right? It can be so hard to have joy in giving sometimes. It can be so hard uh, for us to have joy in serving when we feel just exhausted. We might be tempted to look at our, our bank account or our calendar and think that there's just no way. It's just not happening. But the amount doesn't matter near as much as the heart behind it. How much we just want to, to give faithfully, to love him and serve him. This woman gave her heart. She gave all that she had. She's forced to trust God with everything that comes her way because she has nothing left at all. And sure, she could have kept those two coins, right? They're two coins. She could have kept them, right? But she would still be broke, doesn't have a husband, has no money. And yet somehow she's still worshiping the Lord, worshiping him with all that she has. Her, her greatest love clearly is just God, saying, God, I have nothing, but I, I am rich in you. You are all I need. I am so wealthy because I know the Savior of the world. When I think about my life, do I have joy in hardships like this widow? Right? She's, she's experiencing so much pain, emotional pain, financial pain, and yet so faithful, so in love for God, because she realizes that God is all we need 
it's a hard thing for us, but God really is all we need. This woman's heart was for the Lord. Who is your heart for? When you give, is it out of reluctance or out of love? When you serve, is it out of obligation or out of love? See, God created money. He doesn't need that. He's God. He can do anything. He can, he can do anything with anything. He cares about what we give. He cares about how we serve. He cares about our love. He cares about these things because he cares about our heart. He cares about us being faithful, us loving him, serving him, giving him all we have because we realize that when he changes our perceptions, our God is amazing. And the beautiful thing of this is God can use any person in any amount, right? This widow didn't have much and God still uses her. She's in in the Bible for this. This is incredible. He can use all of us despite what we have. The widow gave more than all of those who contributed to the offering box because God can use anything. And what he wants is her whole heart. But all this starts with us changing, adjusting our perceptions of Jesus. Believing and, and seeing that Jesus loves you so much. That he came to this earth, lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. And then died on the cross, taking upon himself our guilt and sin and shame that separate us so much from God that we, we shouldn't be able to be in his presence at all. We shouldn't have a relationship with him because of what we have done. And Jesus said, I love you, and took that upon himself and died. Taking the, the consequences of, of the punishment of our sin upon himself and rising from the, from the dead, defeating death, so that we can have a relationship with him, so that we can know him. When we think about that more and more in our lives and think of the implications of that, Jesus adjusts our perceptions and through that he changes our passions and he redefines our importance to make us want to truly honor him, give him everything, live for him, and be in awe of who he is and just be in so much joy because of what he has done in us and for us. We see that he calls us to take those next steps forward. Forward in our faith. Forward in what God has placed upon our hearts. Forward in building stronger families or marriages. Giving God our whole heart. Because Jesus changes everything in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just being an amazing God. Your love for us is beyond belief. We pray that you would adjust our perceptions of you so that we can have our passions be more for you. I pray that you would redefine our importance to make what we care about the things that you care about. Lord, that you would just have our hearts, that we would just desire to, to, to love you and to serve you and to be faithful for you and that whatever you're stirring in our hearts right now, Lord, that that would just call us into action and just deeper awe of you, deeper love for you, and wanting to know you and serve you more. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.